Rebecca and Lily and you're listening to Just Gooey Things. Hey Boo Things and welcome back to Just Gooey Things and we are your beautiful hosts Rebecca and Lily. Hey. So I feel like I'm still so used to doing the everyday episodes that I feel like a week has been so long since I've talked to you. I know, it it feels like ages, honestly. Well, I mean, you've been super busy having a life, so, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it probably went by a little faster than it did for me, but how is work going? Good. We got, oh my god, a woman came into the bank, Mm -hmm. and mind you, this is like, I like just learned the protocol for safety deposit boxes. Okay. And this woman comes in, and she's like, I need my safety deposit box. I'm like, okay, sure. So I, like, take her, and I'm, like, you know, like, feeling like hot shit because I know what to do with the (laughs) keys, and I know which key goes in which slot. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm chit-chatting with her. I give her her safety deposit box, and she goes into the visitation room, and she just starts weeping, like, wailing. And I'm like, okay. Maybe this is, like, her loved one's safety deposit box and, like, whoever it was passed away and she's, like, looking at their belongings, crying, yeah. right? I go outside to ask my manager, like, what to do and, like, she's looking for, like, little bank, like, tissues with, like, the bank logo on them that we have for some reason. And she's like, oh, no, she comes in, like, all the time. This happens all the time. <laughs> she's, like, a bank regular. And then... She cornered me in the vault and just talked to me about her, told me her whole life story for 25 minutes. The phone's ringing. People are trying to come in, but we're really not opening the lobby. And this woman is telling me about, like, her childhood trauma. Oh, my God. And I keep trying to, like, back away, and there's only one door because we're in, like, this vault room, and I can't escape. It was the scariest moment of my life. There was definitely zero social distancing in that encounter. Oh, my God. She kept taking her mask off. (laughs) She would, like, say something, and I'd be like, "Mm mm-hmm. She'd be like, oh, maybe you can't understand me, and then would take her mask off. Oh, no. And I was, oh, girl. (sighs) Enjoy your days at home, people. That's all I have to say. Just Lily stories. Holy crap. I would have been like, if you're going to tell me about childhood trauma, it better involve ghosts. And if so, email us at justgoodythingspodcast.gmail.com. That's the only time I want to hear your trauma is if there's a ghost story attached to it. She talked literally nonstop for 25 minutes and then went, anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. And left. Oh, my God. Lily, you need to become a therapist. You're just a I, natural, naturally I, gifted therapist. I was literally sitting there like, is this what my therapist feels like? <laughs> You're going to give I'm your so therapist sorry. a big hug next time you see them. Oh, oh my God. That is What crazy. have you been up to? Um, So Friday, I start back at my job, which is nice. Yay! Oh, um, tell me about the um reading that you had. Yes. Okay. So she, you know... Obviously, like, I, I put on, like, our Instagram uh, on, the, on our story saying that I really didn't go in there with a lot of expectations because um, some people may not know this, but a lot of mediums 
they're just not born mediums. I mean, there are people that have a natural gift and they pick up on, on their own, but a lot of people get training by people that have been psychic mediums for like long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And obviously they need students to read. So mm -hmm. I've never had my own one-on-one -on -one reading. So I was just going in there with an open mind, really not knowing what to expect. So we get on Zoom and she's super nice. And uh, she just asks, she's like, so like what, like, what do you want from this reading? And like, I was being very vague, like I've been told to, and just like, whatever, like, I don't really know what to expect. Like, this is my first mm -hmm. reading. So like, whatever you get, I'm like, please don't be nervous. Like, don't yeah. be afraid to be wrong. Cause like, I'm just, I'm st like, this is my first time too. So like, don't be, you know, she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, no, like, uh, she's like, right off the bat, she was like, um, talking about, the podcast and no way. yeah she was saying that um she had mentioned she was like is there more than like there's like two of you but is there more than one and I was like well we've had like at first I said no and then I and then I backtracked and I said well we've had guests on the show but like mm -hmm. they aren't permanent guests or anything and then she was just saying that it will be very successful and she goes um she goes, you're the one that, like, really pushes, like, the followers and, like, the viewers, right? And I was like, yeah, I am more the business <laughs> end of my partner's the funny one that carries the show. And um, she was like, no, she's like, keep doing that, though. Like, whatever you're doing, like, it's working, this and that. And mind you guys, like, I, this woman only had my first name. She did not, she was not given my last name. There's no information. Like, I literally gave her my cell phone number to text me and mm -hmm. my first name and my phone plan isn't under my name so there's no way she would have figured out it was me so um wow. completely like debunked that um you know she mentioned mike she was like oh you know you have like a like a partner you plan on you know long term and i was like yeah hopefully i mean i'm four years deep i hope so <laughs> um so that was cool um she said that i have a natural gift for psychic ability that it runs in my family she was saying she's like you know some people they have it and then it's clear that people don't and like you definitely have some sort of sensitivity she goes the reason why i mentioned the podcast is she says has there been anything weird going on while you're recording like you notice weird things happen and i told her about how we've had um once we released the episode we've had encounters where there's weird noises coming through the mm -hmm. microphone um, just, just weird. Even when you would come over and stuff and we would have the Google play start going off and stuff, mm -hmm. um, just really weird situations. So she was saying that that is my, uh, th that there are spirits that are attached to the show. And, mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of confirms what we've talked about. Interesting. It's haunted. Yeah. And so then she continued. She said, um, that I do have a couple spirit guides saw um, a few like masculine figures but then said that my grandmother was like my protector and if there's ever been like like um, near death experiences that I've experienced it was her protecting me which was you know there was some validation to that um, she said she even mentioned she goes do you ever see like a dark figure and I mentioned the hat man to her and mm -hmm. she tried to tap into him a little bit but she was very nervous she was very she you could tell she was very hesitant to hear a no and I was just okay. like, honestly, like, just whatever comes to mind, like, just say it. Like, don't be nervous to think, like, I'm judging you for being wrong. Like, this is a learning experience for both of us. So, like, just yeah. if you feel something, just say it. Um, so I think that there were some more things that she wanted to say but didn't because she was scared of being kind of like, like me saying, like, oh, no, that's wrong or something like that. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's understandable. Everyone gets nervous yeah. about that stuff. Um, 
this. And then she said that although I have like a couple of spirits surrounding me, my I don't necessarily have like spirit like spirit guides that are human, but mm-hmm. more spirit animals. And she goes, um, she goes, do you like animals a lot? And I was like, I love them more than humans. So that makes complete <laughs> sense why I would have spirit animals connected to me rather than spirit guides. And yeah. then she said foxes were my spirit animal. Which I found interesting because the night before, my mom sent me a video of like foxes in her backyard. So yeah, girl, weird, weird. And I think foxes are really cute. So I'm like have to look more into like what the meaning of like fox spirit animals means and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did she say? Um, yeah, she said she just said that like weird things have happened on the podcast the po- like, I mean the biggest thing that I took away from it was that the podcast is going to be successful and that we just have to be perseverant with it and mm-hmm. um, like whatever we're doing we're doing right so that was I mean it was amazing that she brought up the podcast the way she did so that's amazing I love that yeah so that was yeah that was awesome it was it, I mean, it, it ended up being like more validation for me that like all the work that we are putting into this podcast mm-hmm. it's been worth it and I mean, even if it ended up being that we did this podcast and we only had five listeners, just, like, the relationship that you and I continue to grow from, from this Mm -hmm. podcast, and the people that we have met through this experience is more than enough. But just hearing that there's still more to the story is awesome, too. That makes me so happy. I know. I know. That's so, like, motivating and, like, reassuring. It really, especially during that time where, like, at that point, I didn't know what was going on with my job, if I was going to be going back anytime soon, Mm -hmm. and I was kind of getting into, like, a little bit of a funk. To hear the way she was talking about this podcast, which you and I are both so passionate about, and to hear Mm -hmm. that there is, you know, there's something bigger for it, it was definitely the message I needed to hear. And like I said, there was no way she would have known any of that. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and I got my nails done today for the first time Ooh, in like three nice. months. I got my toes done. I did like the whole nine. I was like, I I need to get them done. I need to feel a little more feminine. It's been a while. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm like, I keep staring at my nails because I miss having my nails. It's just like the little things, you know, it's a first world problem, but it's like those little things that you don't, you take for granted of being able to you go really, and get yeah. your nails done, get your hair done, um, go to the gym and like. Even if you go on the treadmill for, like, 10 minutes, like, I I take that for granted all the time. And now I'm, like, I can't wait for the gym to open back up. Yeah. And just to be able to, you know, do more things. So, yeah. For sure. So, on that note, guys, today's episode is a very interesting one. Um, Lily, do you want to tell them what we're talking about today? Haunted Forest. Yes. (laughs) So, when I was doing my research, there was, like... 15 forest um, forest names that really stuck out to me but mm-hmm. so I have two to three um, that I did some research on um, I'm definitely doing one for sure but then like I'm gonna kind of see like where you take your research and then from there I'll decide which will be the second one okay because I was just I it was really hard for me to figure out what my second story will be because I was really stuck between these last two because they were okay. both so good so I might Ooh. read I might read three if we have time, but okay. I might stick to two. We'll kind of see how it all goes. All right. All right, Lily. So what is your first haunted forest? My first haunted forest is the Freedom fu- Free Fuck me. Okay, <laughs> I, oh, my God. 
the Freetown Fall River State Forest. Okay. So, the Freetown Fall River State Forest, commonly shortened to Freetown State Forest, is a publicly owned forest covering more than 5,000 acres in the city of Fall River and the towns of Freetown and Lakeville in the state of Massachusetts. The forest lies mostly in the center of the town of Freetown, about a third of the town, dividing Assinet, East Freetown, and Fall River's northernmost boundary. The forest land includes Profile Rock, a granite outcropping which local Native Americans believe to be the image of Chief Massasoit and a 227-acre Wampanoag Reservation. The state first acquired the land in Assinet for forest purposes in 1913, purchasing approximately nine acres on Forge Pond from Levi Churchill of Berkeley. The majority of the land was acquired over 20 years, beginning in the 1930s. The Civilian Conservation Corps worked on the property from 1935 to 1937, and a statue was dedicated in honor of the program and its efforts in the forest in September of 2002. Recent additions to the forest have included 87 acres in 2012, 29 acres in 2015, and 77 acres again in 2015 in Assinet, and then 613 acres in 2015 in Lakeville. That's a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, this place is ginormous. So, Freetown Fall River State Forest is more appropriately known by many as the Cursed Forest of Massachusetts. Ooh. The forest sits squarely within the infamous Bridgewater Triangle, which has gained a reputation for the bizarre after a number of sightings were claimed there. Not just the usual ghost and orbs, but also UFOs, Bigfoot, giant snakes, no thank you, <laughs> on-site murders, and human sacrifices. Not only that, but the forest is basically straight out of the Spiderwick, Spiderwick Chronicles. It is said to be home to a mischievous race of troll-like creatures known as Puckwudgies. Did you, ever, wait, did you ever read Spiderwick Chronicles? No, I never did, Oh did my you? god, that was my childhood book for really? probably a, summer, a full summer or two. Yeah, I read all of them. I, I literally, the writing at that time, I don't know if I'm reading it now if I would like it, but back yeah. then the reading was just, it was so detailed that I felt like I was a part of all of their adventures and journeys. Like, I felt like I was a part of the family. So, I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. Reading can be just as immersive as, like, a 3D movie if it's done right. You oh, know what I mean? for sure. So, um, a Pukwudgie, for those of you who don't know, is a human-like creature found in Delaware, uh, mainly in Delaware and Wampanoag folklore, but also now in Massachusetts. And they are sometimes said to be four to five feet tall. According to legend, Pukwudgies can appear and disappear at will, lure people to their deaths, use magic launch poison arrows, and create fire. So, here's more on the ancient evil in the forests of Massachusetts. So, this is a story from Reddit. Okay. So, here we go. The title is, There's an Ancient Evil in the Forests of Massachusetts. Okay, it starts with a story I heard when I was younger. A dude goes into the forest. Manly dude. Big, stoic, lumberjack type. Anyway, he goes into the woods near dawn. Says he's gonna hunt, cut some wood, scout the land. 
So he goes in and he's in there for a while, chopping and fishing and tracking. Uh, nearby these woods is a schoolhouse and just down the road is a small old town. It's summer, so the schoolhouse is empty, save for the school marm who's there tending to things that need looking after, polishing the floors and furniture, trimming the weeds, washing the windows. Noon flies by and she's outside, outside watering the flowers and vegetables and she hears a scream. But it's not high, no. It's low, like a demon. She looks up, confused but unafraid, and sees something stumbling out of the tree line towards her. It's the lumberjack, but he looks different, wild. His eyes have this 30, have this thousand, I almost said 30 yards, <laughs> thousand yards stare, and he sang something in this sing-song sort of voice. Here comes a candle to light you to bed, and here comes a chopper to chop off your head. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the school marm, I don't know what a school marm is, <laughs> um, stands up and steps forward. The lumberjack is well-known around town and well-liked, and she's not afraid from him. Uh, afraid of him. She asks him what's wrong. He doesn't answer and walks right up to her, dragging his axe behind him. She places a hand on his arm and asks him again if he's all right. Again, he doesn't answer. He just starts laughing, and he takes that big old axe and swings it right around the school marm, cutting her clean in two. <gasps> They found him later, deep in the woods, dancing round and round with the severed top half torso of the school marm, chanting that same old rhyme, here comes a candle to light you to bed, and here comes a chopper to chop off your head. Spooky, right? Well, that's not the only story about the forest of Massachusetts, especially the Freetown Fall River State Forest. There are many stories. Stories about mysterious murders, satanic cults, otherworldly rituals, Native American cryptids, strange lights, stories to tell around campfires or at sleepovers or on internet forums. <laughs> the Bridgewater Triangle is there. It's an energy vortex or a portal to hell or a secret government laboratory or maybe all three. Yeah, there are a hell of a lot of stories and you know what? I think some of them, maybe even most of them are true. That maybe there is something out there living in those trees. Something bad. Because, well, my best friend and I both saw something that I, or we, cannot explain. This is what happened. We were out in the middle of the day, trying to find a place to light up. If you're thinking that this may have somehow altered our experience, you'd be wrong since we never actually got the chance to smoke and were stone cold sober the whole time. Anyways... Picture us in the middle of rural Massachusetts, surrounded by trees and overgrowth and green. You have never been this close to nature. The woods absolutely surround you, and the terrain is vast and hilly and strewn with lakes and trees, lots and lots and lots of trees. And they're always watching, listening, waiting. If you ask me, the whole place is full of evil, an ancient sort of evil. The trees know, and they've seen shit, bad shit. I love how this is written. <laughs> um, it's easy to ignore the stories about these forests when you're high on cell phone service and the bright lights and loud noises of civilization. But once you're out there in the trees, you start to remember and you start to feel all that evil. I'm getting chills. <laughs> so 
we're out in the middle of the woods and my friend Ethan is packing one beside me and I'm looking around and it's quiet really really quiet can't even hear any birds or planes in the sky and it feels weird creepy bad suddenly without saying a word I look at Ethan and he looks at me and we silently agree something terrifying is watching us from behind the trees and we start walking I don't know what it was but at that moment we both felt the presence of something evil behind us there's a crunching noise then another like someone or something is following us but the footsteps sound heavy like a lumberjack we get to a clearing and there's a loud crash like a tree falling we both turn i know we should have run but we didn't we turned and we faced the thing that's following us ethan's freaking out beside me whimpering and i'm staring at the spot the noise is coming from the bushes under some trees near the end of the clearing are shaking like something's in them and then something jumps out a rabbit (laughs) a normal looking rabbit it had sleek black fur and a bright pink nose that twitches at us ethan starts laughing and i start laughing then choking coughing wiping tears away ethan gets out a what's up doc (laughs) (laughs) and the rabbit well it fucking stands up on its hind legs and looks right at us no and grins no like human grins no (laughs) i like rabbits and now i'm questioning their existence all the teeth showing the corners of the mouth tipped up ethan stops laughing and blinks he's confused I do too, because I am too. And the rabbit, it takes a step forward on its hind legs like a goddamn human. Dumbfounded, Ethan looks at me, and I look at him, and then we look back at the rabbit. It's still looking at us, walking towards us like a tiny human. Oh my god. And we watch as it opens its mouth and says in a hideously mocking tone, What's up, Doc? No! Ethan yells, stumbles, and falls hard on his ass. The rabbit throws its head back and starts cackling. I help Ethan up, and we turn and run and run and run and don't stop until we're back inside his car. I've never run so fast in my entire life. As we're running, we can hear the rabbit behind us laughing and laughing, but it's lower now, real low, like a demon. And it's taunting us saying things in a language I don't understand. Backwards English, maybe? Or Latin? Definitely Tibetan? Latin. Oh, I no. have no idea how we escaped. Maybe it let us escape. Either way, we hauled ass out of there and absolutely refused to ever go back. I don't know what to make of it. I still have nightmares about it, and Ethan doesn't want to discuss it anymore. Says it gives him bad juju, whatever that means. To be fair, it's probably best left forgotten. Both of us do everything we can to avoid the forests now, and Ethan's even getting ready to move down to the southwest. But I don't know. Living in fear sucks, and I want to know what it was. A demon? A ghost? Nature spirit? Failed experiment? Fairy? Trickster? Am I in danger? Am I marked or forever haunted? Will that thing follow Ethan to the desert, or can it only exist in forests? Should I move too? And what else is out there? 
hiding in the darkness, in the shadows, in the deepest recesses of what unexplored land is left in the world? I don't know. I just don't know. What do you think? The end. Um, if I didn't know better, I would think they were tripping on fucking psychedelics or something. Cause right? What, what even? This is like a super fucked up Alice in Wonderland, and that's saying something. Like, yes! Good call. That's oh. exactly what this is. Oh my god. What's up, Doc? No thank you. Imagine a rabbit standing on its hind legs mocking you. Bugs Bunny's been real quiet since this story's been posted. <laughs> He's like, fuck. Will the real Bugs Bunny please stand up? <laughs> <laughs> Bugs Bunny is I swear. Bugs Bunny. Other Bugs Bunny are just being funny. <laughs> I swear we're funny, guys. I swear we're actually fucking hysterical. I'm the funniest person I know. <sighs> oh my god. That's, wow. That story was incredible. Was there any yeah. comments below of like people saying that they experienced something similar in the forest, or was it just there were a bunch a lot of just saying "Wow, like that's insane"? Yeah, Thank you for sharing because I don't think I imagined in a million years hearing that there was a rabbit who just out of nowhere stood up on its hind legs. I could have never made that up. Never would have made that up. It does sound like they were like tripping though. Do you know what like an acid flashback is? No. I mean, like, I, I know of acid trips, but acid flashback? No. What is that? So, certain drugs attach themselves to, like, fat cells in your body or something, and apparently when you burn that fat, the drugs send, a, like, a surge through your brain, and, like, you can, like, sometimes maybe trip for a second. Really? Yeah. So, it's possible. I mean, they were already planning on doing drugs. Maybe they had, like, previously done drugs. Like, I'm yeah. trying to be, like, as realistic as possible. Like, maybe, like, the day before they had, like, tripped on some psychedelics or something, and their body was just burning that fat and the particles oh, went shit. to their brain or something. That would make sense. I mean, that's definitely a logical explanation to this. Because you know that they definitely were burning something off because they were, they were wa probably walking around in the woods and, you know, exerting a lot of energy. So that would make sense that these fat cells were, you know, being, you know, used and stuff. But that's fucked up. That's still a fucked up story. And that's, oh, my God. Like, I've been, there's this documentary on Netflix. Um, it's about psychedelics. I forgot what it's called, but it's like a newer uh, it's a newer show, and they have, like, all these celebrities that talked about the psychedelics they've taken. And I definitely don't condone drugs, kids. Do not do drugs legally. But, like, the, 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 the show kind of puts, like, a positive spin on these psychedelics and, like, how people have had, like, good trips. They've also had really bad trips that they talked about. But it really intrigued me because you never learn about psychedelics because it's just all about, like, shoo, like, no, no, you can't talk about that. That's a big no-no. But... Yeah. There's there's also studies of microdosing has helped with people that have chronic illnesses. Interesting. I'm in a group called Music Festival Posting, and it's all, like, music festival memes and, like, information and stuff. And uh -huh. someone posted about microdosing on, like, organic but, like, somehow psychedelic mushrooms. I don't know. I only skimmed it because I don't really care because <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But it... But, yeah, it seems like it's becoming, like, a really popular thing. But, kids, don't do drugs. Don't like do Stay drugs. Home and do nothing all day. Yeah. Do you remember those, like, 1990s commercials of, like, when they were promoting, like, 
not smoking weed, and it was the girl, and she's like deflated on the couch. In and the like, chair. Yeah. Like, yeah, this I is Maddie. That. That's literally, as soon as you said in the 90s, that's what I pictured. Mm-hmm. She hasn't been herself since she started smoking weed. Yes, yes. And I remember that commercial alone scarred me through mm-hmm. middle school. And I literally, like, I was like, no, I would never do that. Like, once, once I, once I try it, I would just deflate, and I would never leave the couch. And I don't want my parents to be ashamed of me. There was this series. Did, did you have Dare in your of school? Of course. Yeah, I won the oh. essay contest that year. You did. Oh yes. Congratulations. Oh, I have fucking put all of those officers to shame. What I am so sorry. What happened? What did you get for winning? I. Was I I what did bragging I read rights? bragging rights? I read the essay and I'm assuming I think I got like a medal that was probably plastic. I don't even remember, like maybe a piece of paper saying congratulations I won the essay contest. But yeah, nothing else. Or maybe a T-shirt. <laughs> so in Dare class, we used to watch congratulations. By the way, thanks. Um, we there was this series called What's Wrong With, and it was like What's Wrong With Alcohol, What's Wrong With Marijuana, What's Wrong With Cocaine, and it would just like list all the bad side effects, and I'm like, yeah, like, like I was of course like the nerd who was paying attention and actually listening and taking down what it was, and everyone else in my class was just laughing at how marijuana is spelled with a J instead of a W. <laughs> I swear to God. I feel like knowing where you grew up. I feel like I feel like knowing where you grew up. That doesn't surprise me. That that's what they laughed at. <laughs> that's what they laughed at. Exactly. That's what they spent their time doing, and I would be like, "Guys, shut up! I want to hear this." <laughs> okay. Anyways. Oh God. Yeah. Memories. Don't do drugs, kids. Bottom line: Don't do drugs. Yeah. All right. So on that note. My next story, my haunted forest that I'm going to be talking about, is the Island of the Dolls, which is located in Socamilco, Mexico. Hell no, Island of the Dolls. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw Island of the Dolls, I knew you would love it, and I had to read it. So, <laughs> Socamilco, which is the south of the center of Mexico City, has reached a certain amount of internet fame for its Isla de las Muñecas, which is Island of the Dolls in Spanish, and hidden among the areas many canals which are known to have get this sightings of evil mermaids oh hell no Mm -hmm. well hell yes actually that's kind of cool right the site is famous for the hundreds of dolls and doll parts hanging from trees and scattered among the grass and it's important to know that um that there are many deaths that have occurred around Socomilco, uh, specifically during the Mexican Revolution, um, because when people were fighting and they passed on, their bodies were dumped in that canal, that same canal where the Island of Dolls is located, um, and they say that that's a, where a lot of the activity uh, comes from. So yeah. the Chinampa, which is akin to an artificial island, used to be residence of a now-deceased man named Julian Santa Barrera. So in the 1950s, Um, He was preaching the word of the Lord Jesus Christ at a time when Mexicans weren't willing to listen to it. So, with it presumed that only anointed priests had the right to speak of Jehovah in all his glory, people took offense to Julian's liberal God talk to the extent that he was repeatedly beaten for his sins. And around this time, he began his strange habit of combing dustbins for dolls, which he lovingly collected to, obviously, ward off evil spirits. That's He thought that, yeah... 
Um, I don't know where that logic comes in, um, where dolls are supposed to ward off evil spirits. I guess evil spirits even find dolls fucking creepy, and I guess that keeps... <laughs> I guess that keeps them away too, but um, yeah. So more specifically though, Julian believed that dolls helped chase away the spirit of a girl who drowned years before that. Um, and he ended up dying in 2001 of a heart attack. And while some say he was close to the same spot where the girl drowned uh, and died, this is false. So he did not die where this supposed girl who drowned had passed away. Um, because people were trying to connect that to the girl being the one to kill him uh, years later. So that's apparently false. Mm-hmm. So according to legend, a young woman drowned entangled among the lilies of the canal and her body was found on the banks of the Santampa Chinampas. Um, Don Julian began to experience inexplicable situations. So terrified, like I said, he, that's why he placed those dolls that he found in the garbage or in the canals um, and um, as an idea that would scare the soul of the young woman who apparently would cry out to him saying, I want my doll. So oh, no. that's where it derived from the dolls is I guess the woman called out for her dolls and he was like, I don't know what fucking doll is yours. So I'll give you all the dolls I can find and hopefully you pick one and you'll leave me alone. Um, that sounds he, logical. What happened? That sounds logical. I yeah. So he also found doll floating nearby, and assuming it belonged to the deceased girl, he hung it from a tree as a sign of respect. Um, but after this, he began to hear whispers, footsteps, and anguished wails in the darkness, even though his hut, hidden deep in the woods, was miles away from civilization. And driven by fear, he spent the next 50 years, 5-0, hanging more and more dolls, some missing parts, all over the island in an attempt to appease what he believed to be the drowned girl's spirit. This is literally hoarding. Oh, yes. In the most creepiest fucking way possible. Oh my god, it does It does not, like, you, you know that woman who kept her cats and her cat's pee? Oh, this yeah. This is worse than that. Oh, 1,000%. 1,000% like, worse. There was a woman who deadass kept her cats in the freezer and this is worse than that. It's horrifying when you, like, when they go through and they find in a hoarder's, like, um, they find, like, snakes that are dead, but they're, like, still in the couch or some shit. And she's like, oh, I never knew there was a snake in here. And it's like, yeah, it's a fucking poisonous snake. If it bit you, it would have died. <laughs> like, but the thing probably, like, just couldn't move even in, like, even it's, like, slithering. It can't move anywhere. It's like, shit, I guess I'll just die here in this lady's couch. Um, That's not how I want to die. Uh-uh. Definitely not how I want to die either. Um, but anyway, uh, so in 1987, an ecotourist rescue was made, and the island was found covered with water lilies. And since then, and after the death of Don Julian, the Chinapa became a place of a great tourist affluence. Um, the place actually gained fame after 1943, when Mexican filmmaker Emilia Fernandez filmed Maria Candelaria uh, there with Dolores del Rio and Pedro Armand Armand. Armandares, I don't know his last name, as the protagonist. Um, a, a significant number of international and local channels have featured articles on this island, including the Huffington Post, Travel Channel, and ABC's News. So, after Barrera's death in 2001, um, like I said, it was a very popular tourist attraction. People can still go and visit these dolls. I've seen a couple of pictures through Reddit and online in general. There's this one picture that was really creepy that I saw on Reddit in the the girl, I guess it was her cousin in the picture, uh, she was next to this tree that had a bunch of hanging dolls, and in the back you see this this figure walking behind the tree, 
And they posted no. it not realizing that, that there's this figure behind the tree and the, mm-hmm. when she posted like it was just supposed to be like oh I'm here at the island of dolls you know no big deal yeah. and then someone's like was there someone with you that just happened to photobomb <laughs> the picture and she's like what do you and then she's like oh shit there is someone there so uh, definitely could be the people that have passed away from the revolution or people that just may have been killed and thrown in the canal and their spirit found their way there who knows um so professional photographer Cindy Vasco's visited the island in 2015 and described it as the creepiest place she has ever visited. Um, and this is a professional photographer who has done a lot of traveling to not the most normal places. So this is saying something for her to say this is the creepiest place she's ever visited. Um, so the excursion, if you go on it, I believe it's a four-hour tour. It begins oh through God. like maze-like tunnels surrounded by lush greenery and singing birds. Um, But then, from her experience, she says that her boat began to slow down by a swarm of lily pads and the canal felt ominously silent. She told Mail Online, at the end of the journey, uh, the trajinera turned along a bend in the waterway and I was struck by a surreal vision of hundreds, maybe thousands of dolls hanging from trees on the tiny island. The dolls are still on the island, of course, which is accessible by boat. Um, And this island was featured on our favorite show ever, Ghost Adventures, um, and the Amazon Prime show Lore, and it was also featured on BuzzFeed Unsolved. Uh, so I, oh, I love BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yes, I can binge watch that all day. Me so, too. I, I spent like a good three days just watching BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> that's just like the that's like the perfect thing to do during quarantine is just watch BuzzFeed Unsolved. Um, I feel like we're like the female version of Shane and Ryan. Oh my gosh! Yes. Right? Like, I'm, like, goofy and don't really know what I'm doing. You have all the facts to coordinate everything. Like, <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. So, um, so I was looking up different people's situations, like, experiences at the uh, Island of Dolls. It was a lot of, like, feeling creepy, hearing voices, seeing figures. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am going to be talking more specifically about the Ghost Adventures investigation Ooh! that they did. So, um, pre-investigation, um, so there was physical harm done. So, Zach received three bruises on his left arm, and coincidentally, he was holding Harold the Haunted Doll earlier um, that had a very loose, uh, that was very loose and had a broken left arm. So, that was before the investigation even started. He had bruises on himself. So, that's just an omen for bad things to come. Um, then during the investigation, there was unexplained noises, cans moving or possibly lighter fluid tin can quickly being squeezed to start the fire, dolls laughing, screaming. Other phenomena, when Zach, Aaron, and Jay arrive to dock, they hear noises in an area where a fire pit is located. Soon afterwards, a fire is sparked in the same area, and there was no other people on the island to have started that fire. Um, physical contact other phenomena includes before zach brings harold the haunted doll out of the bag an energy force is released causing two cats to start fighting seconds later a doll on shed wall on the shed wall starts to laugh as if it's trying to lure the guys away no ma'am uh, yeah um physical contact there was cold energy being felt throughout the investigation even in base camp Um, An apparition, there was an energy force going off in the possessed doll shed. Aaron sees a figure walking outside on the bridge, and he continuously sees the same figure on the bridge. Um, A couple other apparitions included a rectangular black mask captured on the camera directed at Don Julian's hut. Um, 
Billy sees lights in the hut the same time that the black apparition was captured. And then the spirit box uh, catches a man's voice. Uh, there's some other unexplained movement throughout the night. Uh, Zach feels an icy cold hand move down his back. And then an EVP uh, that says, I don't like her, dot, 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 stupid. So Ooh. don't know who the her was. Um, could it possibly be the girl that drowned in the canal? You never know. Um, and there was also a lot of temperature fluctuations to know as well. So on that note, that concludes my research of the Island of Dolls. Wow. Yeah, that's one of those things that just, you know, upon arrival, you're going to be spooked by everything that's there. And you need to kind of, like, almost get out of your head mm -hmm. and be like, okay, like, let's wait for the real evidence besides just creepy dolls. And, like, you got that real evidence. Oh, yeah. And I just, I mean, obviously people, like you said, are going to have that bias going in there that there's going to be weird stuff happening. But mm -hmm. think about all those dolls and think about who they were previously owned by. Um there's you know in Mexico City or in, in like surrounding smaller towns there's poverty there's a lot of corruption uh in the country of Mexico that mm -hmm. there could be a lot of dark history that or a dark energy that attaches to these dolls um like I said you don't know where they come from and they're just hung up all these energies manifesting all together on this small island I mean what do you expect there has to be some sort of activity and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Julian is still there protecting his land or at least you know he's been there for so long yeah. I mean that's 50 years that he spent doing that at least right? yeah yeah so I would not blame him for hanging around mm-hmm exactly so Lily what is your last forest my last forest is the Japanese suicide forest ooh is a good one so they call it Aokigahara. I butchered that for sure. Um, which is also known as the Sea of Trees. Um, and it's a forest in, it's a forest on the northwestern flank of Japan's Mount Fuji, thriving on 30 square kilometers of hardened lava laid down by the last major eruption of Mount Fuji in the year 864. Eight, wait, 864? Like 864? Eight, eight, not 1864, 864. Holy shit. Yeah. The western edge of Aokigahara, uh, where there are several caves that fill with ice in winter, is a popular destination for tourists and school trips. Parts of Aokigahara are very dense, and the porous lava absorbs sound, helping to provide visitors with a sense of solitude. Um. The forest has a historical reputation. Blah, blah, blah. See, we don't record every day now, and I'm like losing my skill at reading <laughs> really fast. The forest has a historical reputation as a home to yurei, ghosts of the dead in Japanese mythology. In recent years, Aokigahara has become known as the Suicide Forest, one of the world's most used suicide sites. Signs at the head of some trails urge suicidal visitors to think of their families and contact a suicide prevention association. And it turns out a novel popularized this dark tradition. In 1960, Japanese writer Seicho Matsumoto, which I definitely am also butchering, released the traffic no the traffic novel the trap oh my god <laughs> the trap the tragic novel 
Kurai Jukai, in which a heartbroken lover retreats to the sea of trees to end her life. This romantic imagery has pro proved a seminal and sinister influence on Japanese culture. Also looped into this lore is the complete suicide manual, which dubs Aoki Gahara, quote, the perfect place to die, end quote. The book has been found among the abandoned possessions of various suicide forest visitors. But that was not the start of the forest's dark legacy. Ubasuti is a brutal form of euthanasia that translates roughly to abandoning the old woman. An uncommon practice only resorted to in desperate times of famine, where a family would lessen the amount of mouths to feed by letting by leaving an elderly relative to a mountain or similarly remote and rough environment to die, not by means of suicide, but by dehydration, starvation, or exposure. Some insist this was not a real occurrence, but rather grim folklore. Regardless, the stories of the Sea of Trees being a site for such abandonment have long been a part of its mythos. The suicide forest may or may not be haunted, some believe the ghosts, or yurei, of those abandoned ubasute and the mournful spirits of the suicidal linger in the woods. Folklore claims they are vengeful, dedicated to tormenting visitors and luring those that are sad and lost off the path. Annual searches have been held there since 1970. There are volunteers who do patrol the area, making interventional efforts. However, these annual endeavors are not intended to rescue people, but rather to recover their remains. Police and volunteers trek through the Sea of Trees to bring bodies back to civilization for a proper burial. In recent years, the Japanese government has declined to release the numbers of corpses recovered from those gruesome searches. But in the early 2000s, 70 to 100 bodies were uncovered each year. Wow. Yeah. It's very sad. But apparently, it's naturally eerie. Bad reputation aside, this is no place for a leisurely stroll. The forest trees organically twist and turn, their roots winding across the forest floor in treacherous threads. Because of its location at the base of the mountain, the ground is uneven, rocky, and perforated with hundreds of caves. Uh, but more jarring... But more jarring... Oh my god, no! Sorry, I'm on Google Docs and my phone just randomly started scrolling. <laughs> okay, let's see, where was I? But more jarring than this <laughs> tricky terrain is the feeling of isolation created from the stillness. The trees are too tightly packed for winds to whip through and the wildlife is sparse. One visitor described the silence as, quote, chasms of emptiness. Mm. She added, I cannot emphasize enough the absence of sound. My breath sounded like a roar. Another hallmark of the forest is that there have been supposedly literal ghost sightings, with visitors sometimes claiming to see white figures drifting between the trees. And while ghost adventures or ghost hunters haven't been there, the sci-fi paranormal investigation show Destination Truth investigated the forest. And they may have caught one of these apparitions on camera. Was it a yuri or just a trick of the light? So, I 
like was like scouring looking for like long personal experiences and I could only find like a sentence here or there and then I found a blog post a 10 page long don't worry I'm not going to read <laughs> but it's a but and there's tons of pictures too so I recommend I believe it's called endofgame.net and I'll obviously like post the link or whatever um, but it's this guy who went to the suicide forest. So I have just like a couple of, just a bit of from the blog posts. Recently, I happened to visit the Aoki Kahara forest. And by visit, I mean I explored and almost got lost inside of it. I doubt I will ever return to that forest again. It truly pricked every hair on my body and left me feeling cold and empty. The place undoubtedly has a disturbed or haunted area. I mean, aura, sorry. I went there because I'm young, curious, hungry for adventure, and thought, why not? I had read about it a year beforehand and was strangely fascinated by the place. A beautiful forest where people choose to die. Oh, and side note, really quick. Wasn't it, was it Logan Paul or Jake Paul who went here? Oh, I think it was the asshole Logan Paul. They're both assholes. Uh, true. I'm sorry. What do they, what's their talent exactly? Um, being problematic. <laughs> good answer okay yeah I forgot I didn't write that down and then I just forgot to mention it but yeah perhaps you've heard of it um, from the infamous Paul brothers so anyways a beautiful forest where people choose to die how bizarre I thought it seemed to me like the ultimate manifestation of yin and yang life and death contained in a place I never in my wildest dreams would imagine existing however I never told myself I would go there. I had no interest in seeing the place for myself and was perfectly content just knowing about its existence. Existence. That is, until my friend Josh called me up last year and told me he had just booked a ticket to Japan and that I should too. I bought the tickets that night. The tickets were cheap due to the tragic nuclear fallout and I was always obsessed with Japanese culture, so it was a no-brainer for me. Once we arrived in Japan, we took a deep inhale of Tokyo and were stoned by its presence. We quickly learned from the locals that no mahodai were the only words of Japanese that you need to speak to have a great time, and a great time we had. We were stationed at a hostel in Asakusa and drifted freely from station to station. Asakusabashi, Akihabara, Ueno, Harajuku, Kamakura, etc. Sorry, I don't speak Japanese. Um, we did this for a week, maybe, before we gravitated towards the bus stop and bought a ticket to Kawaguchiko Station, the last stop before Mount Fuji and Aokigahara. Everyone we talked to about it prior shook their heads violently and warned us not to go there. It had a very bad rep. We, Josh, David, and myself, uh, stayed a night at a small Ryokan guest house the night before we planned on making the trip into the forest. Kawaguchi was a ghost town. I'm not exaggerating for effect. There was no one outside anywhere. The guest house was also empty, except for the woman looking after the place, a very friendly Japanese woman called Mana. I later found out she was a psychology major, which I found interesting as I study psychology and it's 
a field rarely pursued and practiced in Japan. If it was, you'd think they wouldn't have a forest to commit suicide in. Oh my god. Jesus I also, very coincidentally, found out that she did her thesis on suicide, and yet she had never been to, nor planned, to visit the forest that lurked within eyesight from where we were chatting. Oh wow. We spent a day here to explore the area, suss out the local food, and, of course, visit the serene Lake Kawaguchi, the most famous of the five Fuji lakes. We planned on seeing Aoki Gahara the next day, but plans have a way of not working out, so we ended up postponing it for the day after. We were in no hurry, as we weren't traveling with an itinerary, the only way to travel. The day arrived, and we walked to Kawaguchi Coast Station and talked to an old lady at the bus ticket counter, we asked her for a mount of the Mount Fuji Five Lakes area, and she gave it to us cheerily. We then asked her how to get to Aoki Gahara, and her face transformed. She looked at us sternly, as if we were trying, as if she were trying to analyze, analyze our motives. And then, after some silence, I don't think she spoke much English, she drew a big circle on the map. We looked at it. It said Lake Psycho. Uh, we were confused. No, we want to visit Aoki Gahara, we declared. The lady nodded her head up and down rapidly and exclaimed, Yes, yes, Lake Psycho. That's actually how it's pronounced. So it's spelled like Psycho, S-A-I-K-O, but it's pronounced Psycho. Oh, shit. <laughs> so we bought the tickets and went outside to have a cigarette while we waited for our bus. There was a big vending machine nearby that sold coffee, tea, and soft drinks. I thought that was amazing. I decided to trade some yen coin. I had so many coins in my pocket that I was desperate to get rid of some. Traded them for a coffee as I needed a bit of a pick-me-up. It was freezing cold, too, but I assumed the coffee would come out cold anyways. The can barreled down, and I went, up to, and I went to pick it up, and it was hot. I don't know how you do it, Japan, but you never stop amazing me. <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is written. It's written so well. Um, how can a vending machine keep half its drink cold and half hot? My mind was blown. The coffee tasted good, my cigarette was smoked, and our bus was waiting patiently for us. The bus was supposed to arrive at 11.10 a.m., but it arrived 20 minutes early and was in a hurry to get us where we wanted to go. We were supposed to arrive at the lava cave by 11.44, but we probably got there around 11.20 a.m. Oh, wow. Um... Below, you will find a few photos of Lake Kawaguchiko and its small little town. This is where we had to stay to visit Aoki Gahara. Even though it was winter and the place was practically deserted, it was a very rewarding place to visit, and the view and, and the few locals we met were super friendly. One thing that was interesting with this town is that the street had 8-bit music playing constantly on loop, kind of like the town's theme song or something. I couldn't help but laugh when I entered the town and heard the music playing, as it reminded me of entering a new town in Pokemon on the Game Boy. I can exactly, like, imagine what he's talking about. <laughs> um, when we finally left, Mana wished us well after she, was, after she was sure we weren't going to kill ourselves and packed us a lunch. Thanks again. It was freezing cold, and I had to buy some gloves from a 7-Eleven before we got on the bus. The bus wouldn't drop us off at the forest, but instead took us to a cave nearby called the Lava Cave, cave 
which was sadly lacking in the lava department, but still quite cool to check out. I kept a journal from the trip. The rest of the story will be taken from my entries. And there are a bunch of pictures in this post, too, which are really cool to see. Um, the cave was dark and full of sharp rocks and blunt boulders. It reminded me of an abandoned mine shaft. A cheery Japanese woman's voice sounded like the TV presenter in Battle Royale. It was playing on loop over a speaker jammed somewhere in the rocky ceiling. Her voice echoed in the caves and was very creepy. We crawled through a really tight crawling space and reached a dead end. Some cave. <laughs> the rocks were very sharp and I kept thinking about worst case scenarios. Like how shit it would be if we were caved in on from behind and how we had no choice to, but to die there. We hurried out of the cave as there was not much to see or do and our imaginations were getting too loose. As we were surfacing from the cave's cavey depths, I imagined lava coming out and coming out of hiding and bubbling after us. Once we got out of that godforsaken cave, I breathed in a lung full of fresh air and panned my vision across the forest which greeted us. The trees smiled and waved hello. A forest trail was just up ahead its many signs claimed that it would eventually lead us to the ice cave after 1.5 kilometers. We trusted the signs, and my only hope was that the ice cave actually had ice in it. There was also a car park, which had suspiciously, ab which had a suspiciously abandoned-looking car in it. Uh-oh. There was nobody around, and the hood was covered with leaves. That does not sound good. Um... About halfway through the trail, Dave noticed a white ribbon heading into the forest. Without saying a word, we all knew that it was probably leading to a suicide spot, so Dave and I decided to follow it. Josh didn't feel up to it. He looked very uncomfortable and told us he would push on and try to make it to the cave and then go home. He told us he had seen enough, even though he had only been in the forest for five minutes. A pool of apprehension built up inside of me and shot waves worry throughout my body. Um, we were venturing towards the unknown with knowledge that we were splitting up from Josh, could easily get lost, and would likely experience something dark, and I was about, and I was beginning to doubt whether I was ready for the experience. What if I saw something that would change me forever, is a thought that was blinking in my head at this point. Despite these thoughts, we found ourselves walking as though we were a cart on track deep into the forest's belly without a map or compass. Apparently, they don't work in Aokigahara anyway. Interesting. And using nothing but our gut instincts and the white ribbon to guide our route. This eventually became more and more difficult as the forest was completely littered in red, white, and blue tape. So I read something that people um, who go into the forest use tape to keep their track so that they know which way they've gone in mm -hmm. case they want to turn around and leave. So that they don't get lost. So that's what that tape is there for. That's smart. Yeah. Um, let me see. Where was I? We were traveling in the heart of Japan's winter, and it was about negative two or negative three degrees. It was raining and very cold. I was smoking cigarettes to keep myself warm and finding it hard to breathe. Being difficult to walk through the forest, as there were parts where there was no flat ground, despite the illusion that there was. It was as though the floor was booby-trapped as it was covered in sticks and leaves, but underneath were holes and crevices, sometimes knee-deep, and so I found myself falling into holes in the ground quite frequently. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this sounds terrible. 
We were walking very quickly as though we were in a hurry to get somewhere. And we finally, <clears throat> sorry. And we finally reached the end of the ribbon. Note, as you can see in the video, I was filming the floor the whole time in case I fell into a hole. We didn't even look at Josh and acknowledge he wasn't coming with us. He was spooked and I was right on edge for some reason. It was almost like we were being pulled into the forest, believe it or not. We stood facing two tall trees. Each one had a white arrow on it pointing in opposite directions. David walked west and I walked east. Note, we had no compass, so I don't know why I wrote east and west in my journal. It just sounded like a cool thing to say, I guess. <laughs> we couldn't really see each other, but at least we were within shooting, still within shouting distance. Sorry, I can't read today. I reached my marker. We had decided upon them before we split up. And I looked around nervously. David called out my name and told me to check out what he saw. His voice had traces of worry in it. A lump formed in my throat as I pictured him happening upon a fresh body. I took a step forward and terror washed over me as I realized I had been standing on a gravesite <gasps> the whole time. Oh, no. I froze. Yeah, I froze like a helpless animal spotted by a leopard in the open savanna. I scanned the spot and saw an old umbrella, a backpack, cigarettes, scattered toiletries, and a shirt half buried by dirt. Everything looked like it had been there a very long time. I can't really describe how I felt at that moment in time. Sadly, as the day went on, I became used to seeing grave sites. And I even kept my pool at the sight of a noose hanging in a tree. At the time, it really felt like I wasn't intruding and wasn't welcome at all. Now it's around 1.30 p.m. After seeing the second grave, I was truly spooked and felt unreal in the sense that I couldn't really believe or comprehend where I was. It had never fully sunk in for me at the time. I think I was expecting fear which is why I was so confused when I instead felt a complete distortion of fear. I wasn't scared, but I was definitely disturbed, and it was and that is much worse. I really didn't want to see what I wasn't ready to see, like a dead body or a live person about to hang themselves. I didn't want to be haunted by a totally raw experience, but at the same time, I did. Why else was I there? It was uncertainty mixed with feelings of fear and dread, and somewhere underneath all of that, there was excitement. I knew that I was having a totally unique experience that would be a game changer for the rest of my life. It would give me a new lens to see with. Every future dance with fear would have to size up to this experience first, and it would lose every time. Wow, I love how this is written. <laughs> if this was a paper, it would have an A+. A, a plus. Okay. <laughs> We decided to backtrack our way out of the forest and might tr and try to find the ice cave in the hope that we might find Josh there and maybe some cool ice formations too. We had been gone for about an hour so we doubted we would see him again but we thought we'd at least try. When we finally got back on the walking trail we had about one kilometer to reach the cave. Once we arrived we went inside and had a look around. We were happy to discover that the cave was very disturbing deserving of its what is disturbing me really what is that what that's not a word please let me know <laughs> deserving of its name there was ice everywhere the lava king could learn a thing or two from this cave 
David took a picture of me standing next to a wall of ice. When he was done taking it, he needed to take it again. He did, and then told me to have a look at the photo. Both pictures were me surrounded in thick fog while Ooh. my eyes were glowing white. And he posts the pictures, and they are so spooky kooky Um, I told him to stand next to the ice so I could take a photo of him. The picture was crystal clear. Huh. He took another one of me, and it was full of fog. No way. There, yeah. There was no visible fog or mist in the cave whatsoever, so only in the pictures. After our second cave experience, we left and went aimlessly looking for Josh. He was nowhere to be found, so I got a great Fanta from the vending machine, and we pottered around for a bit. It was so cold that we were shaking. We looked out into the rainy mist, wondering where to go next, when an old Japanese man called out to us, waving an umbrella in the air. It was a clear plastic one. We turned our heads to accept it. Dave took it. I already had a black one I brought with me from home. And I noticed Josh in the misty rain, looking just as lost probably as we looked. We were so relieved to see him that we dropped our umbrellas and ran over to him in the pouring rain and gave him a hug. Then we sat down and shared our photos and stories over a cigarette. Josh said that he felt a strange pull to go into the forest, despite his not wanting to, and that he had seen enough and wanted to go home. David and I felt that we didn't have closure yet. If we left now, we would regret it for the rest of our lives. So we walked him to the bus stop, which was quite far away. He ran for the bus once we could see it stopped in the distance, and his body disappeared into the fog. And now we get to the spooky stuff, which you've all probably been waiting for. David and I penetrated the forest from a different entrance this time, chosen at random, and I was amazed at how alien of an environment it was. Everything was covered in bright green moss and looked prehistoric. We walked for a while and were conscious of leaving markers so we wouldn't get lost. We knew there was a chance it would get dark as soon as the sun sets at about 4.30 p.m. during Japan's winters. Um, and it would no doubt get darker earlier than that in this dense forest. Not much sunlight was creeping in through the tall and thick canopy. It was already too dark for comfort. I think it was roughly 2 p.m. at this point. We happened upon a police-style barricade which said, Do not enter. So Dave and I left a stick on the entrance pointing towards the path we came from, swallowed our breath, and climbed over the barricade and kept on walking. Mm. A red ribbon stretched out into the forest. David was walking at a pace that gave the impression he was in a hurry to see the Wizard of Oz <laughs> following the red ribbon to get there. We followed it for about ten minutes and realized that we were still nowhere close to its end. So we left one of the umbrellas as a marker and followed a white ribbon, which cut off from the red ribbon at a sharp left maze into, uh, into a maze of tall and skinny trees. Now it's about 3 p.m. This was the creepiest path we took and one that we almost got lost in. About five minutes in, the trees shrunk inside and arched in until we had a roof of sticks and branches over our heads Ooh. and had to crouch crawl to get through. The passage got tighter and tighter, and eventually we had to continue on in single file. By this point, we were probably three times more scared than we were at first. 
but we had suppressed the fear so well that we almost gave the impression of being super brave. <laughs> Just don't think became my mantra and my, my mantra to get me through these tight crawls. The passage opened up a little, and that's when we started to see some Blair, Blair Witch Project-esque things popping up. For example, we saw lots of logs positioned on the floor into big X's, weird, and we saw red, red paint splattered on trees, which looked like blood. There was a very old-looking dog kennel. We saw a stick crucifix made with tree branches and spring, fastened to a tree with a suicide ribbon. We continued on regardless. We had been walking so long that we realized if we were to turn back now, we would just have to pass all of these things again, and I was content to never see them again. David told me to check something out. He was frozen still. There were sticks that were being hung by string and were dangling from trees. They eerily suggested suicide. Mm -hmm. We saw about five or six of them separated by about three trees each there was no oh my god my nose is so itchy there was no wind in the forest yet and yet the sticks were rocking back and forth violently Ooh. Ooh. yeah right we were hesitant to continue following the trail but we did and soon we were following a blue ribbon blue white red was the path home remember that i thought to myself note how eerily quiet the forest is update someone on youtube mentioned a blur five seconds into the video above it freaked me out as i have no idea what it is i never noticed it before check it out and let me know what you think and then there's a like a little video and these will all be available i'll share the link to this site i saw a few ponchos and umbrellas lying around which didn't belong to either dave or i and we were seriously the only people in the forest that day but they were scattered around in random spots, and there was no evidence to suggest that anyone had died in those spots that they were left in. Maybe they were being used as markers, just like we had used them. One, one of these umbrellas was exactly the same as the one the old man gave us, Ooh. clear plastic, and it was hanging on a large broken branch. Dave took a photo of it, and something startling came out in the picture. No editing has been done to it. See for yourself and make your own conclusion. So I'll send you that link, Rebecca. Okay. Um, we walked for ages until we reached the end of the blue ribbon, and it was fastened to the end of a giant fallen tree. I took a much-needed piss, and the steam that rose from it reminded me that I needed to smoke. I lit a cigarette, climbed the broken tree, and peered over the forest looking for any movement in the trees. One thing that separates this forest from others I have been to is that this one is eerily quiet. I didn't hear any birds, wind, insects, animals, nothing. It was dead silent. The only sound was our footsteps and the light pattering of the rain on the leaves. That was it. The forest was also very still. Nothing moved. Throughout the day, I had a lot of moments where I thought I saw something and I definitely heard rustling or footsteps at one point. It might have just been in my head, but I swear something was not right with that place. And then wow. he has a note that says another blogger had a similar experience in Aoki Gahara 
and use a quote from his post to end it. On the way back out, I am unsure whether it was because I was paranoid or whether it was real, but I could always hear sounds of footsteps and sometimes could see movement in the corner of my eye amongst the trees far away. And that's the end. Wow, that was so much to unpack, Lily, and that... I know, I'm sorry. I, 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 when I read the article, I was like, okay, like, ten pages, mostly pictures. I'll, I'll only keep the good stuff in. That was the good stuff. That was pretty much, like, everything. Like, there's, like, no details that you could really leave out, because there was just so much going on. Um, yes. So, so they, they actually, remember I talked about the Suicide Forest-inspired movie? Um... It was, like a, like, a couple episodes back into, like, the Quarantine Spooky Story specials. It's called The Forest, and you can watch it on Netflix. It's got Matthew McConaughey, right? No, no, no. This has, let's see. I don't know if there's anyone super, like, super, super famous. Um, the top cast is Natalie Dormer, Taylor Kinney. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure of their names. Matthew McConaughey was in it. Maybe he was in a movie about a spooky forest. Maybe maybe there was something similar, but this one's like a newer movie. It's from 2016, and it was a really creepy movie, and that's when I really learned more about the suicide forest, and you've just, a lot of the experiences that you talked about in the blogger's story, um, there are some similar things that happen in the movie as well. Um, But yeah, I don't know if I'd want to visit that forest. Would you? No way! Just be the chance to see a dead body. A reservation that's by my house. Yeah, I just the fact that you, there's a possibility of seeing a dead body. I could say like, oh, that you know, that, that's on my bucket list. See a dead body, but it's like to actually see something like that is so traumatizing. I literally reading this, like reading this, this this blog post was so like immersive and ex. Explanatory and detailed that I actually feel a little nauseous now. It's just thinking that there's a spot like that that's real. Very unsettling. There's no wind and crucifixes sway. And I feel like the way that the the one experience where the trees started to kind of come down on them as if it was kind of sucking them into the forest that they they can never leave. That's kind of the vibes I got. And I mean, you know, obviously, you know mental illness does play a part in why this is suicide forest people go there because they know that a lot of people commit suicide there they may feel that this is the place that they want to go um but it does make you think too you know this is something from the 800s the amount of history the curses um that may be based in that forest could that be a catalyst could that could this play some sort of role in the demise of these hundreds of people that die a year in that forest Ooh, I mean, there's got to be so much activity there that it's just mm-hmm. unreal, uh, unreal. Yeah. And it's creepy but, that they don't even like list like the full numbers and like you don't have the full story of the suicide forest. Like officials definitely know more than what they're telling us. Absolutely, there's there's got to be more. I mean, I know that they said that they declined to release, you know, how many bodies they found lately. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, but I feel like it would be important to know. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so that is the suicide forest. Whew. Okay. So I don't know if my, my, my story isn't as long and as detailed as your story. We probably should have left yours for last. Sorry. But no, don't be sorry. So much to it. No, it's awesome. I mean, I feel like I've known about the suicide forest, but I, hopefully this gives our listeners more of an in-depth look into the forest that maybe we wouldn't have known about so it's good 
Okay. Um, so my last forest that I will be talking about today is called is it's not a forest, but you know, it's a little some grassy lands, and that is the Highgate Cemetery in London, United Kingdom. Ooh, so, good shit happens in London. Yes, a lot of spooky cookie stuff. So Highgate Cemetery is one of the most haunted places in London. Um, and it was created out of desperate need, pretty much. So in the early 1800s, London, which was the city's uh, the city's population had just crossed the one million mark. And this was in the oh, 1800s. Wow. Um, and it was growing at a monster pace, uh, despite the impressive de- death rate as well. So, of course, um, graveyards and burial sites were crammed into every available space between shops, outside taverns, and really close to occupied homes. So, um, undertakers, dressed as clergymen, had to perform illegal burials just to start putting people into the ground because people were dying at such a quick rate. Um, Graves were shallow, and uh, what else? And the bodies were covered with quicklime to speed up decomposition so that the grave could be reused in a few months' time. So pretty much these plots were just recycled of bodies continuously. So it really wasn't a final, real, peaceful resting place for people. Um, The smell, the diseases, wafting from these graves were absolutely horrific. And by the early 1830s, something had to be done about this. I mean, there was no getting past this. So Parliament ended up passing a statute that allowed for seven new private cemeteries to be built in the countryside around London for burying the dead. And these seven cemeteries came to be known as the Magnificent Seven. And the third cemetery to be built, which was in 1839, was that of the Highgate Cemetery. So um, the London Cemetery Company paid £3,500, which is not a lot, for 17 (laughs) acres of the Ashurst estate running down the steep hillside from from the Highgate Village. Um, The company hired David Ramsey, who was a landscape architect, to work alongside one of the founders, Stephen Geary, who was an architect. And they quickly transformed the graveyard into this oasis that, in very short order, became the place for London's wealthiest to be buried. And by 1854, the cemetery became so popular and extremely profitable that the company bought another 20 acres and the London elite galloped along in in their ostentatious funerary competition building ever more elaborate and fanciful crypts and memorials so this was the place where all of the elite wanted to be buried so if they were bougie in their lifetime they were being bougie in the afterlife too and this was the place to die i guess and to be laid to rest um so by the turn of the 20th century however the cemetery's fortunes began to wane the outbreak of world war one decimated the ground staff the interwar years say few saw fewer and fewer plots being sold and by the end of world war ii the cemetery had all been but abandoned and by 1960 the london cemetery company declared bankruptcy and the gates to the highgate cemetery were closed so i just want you to think about that for a second i mean they say that funeral directors, it's such a great business to get into because business never dies, literally. I mean, there's just always people dying. People need to have their memorials, cremations. Um, so it's crazy to think that a cemetery could be closed down. You would Imagine think that they would always... shit has to get for a cemetery to close down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it amazes me, too, because it puts into perspective of... There are so many abandoned cemeteries out there, and I think that mm-hmm. it's kind of sad for those that are that their final resting place is there, and they 
don't have people really taking care of the ground. It's like they were just forgotten along with the land. That's so unfair. So I would sad. haunt the shit out of an unkempt cemetery. Right? Like, just raise hell. So Even if I wasn't even there, I'd be there. I'd be, like, the prote- like the outside protesters <laughs> buried down the street in, the, in, in like, a kept-up-to-date cemetery, and I'd be at the abandoned one, like, what are you doing to these poor people? Oh, one th- I could totally see you doing that, Lily. You were super progressive as a ghost. Okay. <laughs> so, by 1970, the lush landscaping had become a wildly overgrown jungle, and the really impressive architecture that was created... Um, to so many decrepit buildings I mean it just it was such a sad but beautifully sad sight Mm -hmm. um so then Hammer Movie Studio used the cemetery to shoot their gothic horror movies there understandably so and the press surrounding the movies rekindled interest in the cemetery and the story started spreading like the cemetery's landscaping there were rumors of men dressed in dark robes who used the isolation of the forgotten graveyard to practice dark rituals. Ghosts and ghouls haunted the alleyways along and around the graveyard. People reported seeing red-eyed demons staring at them through the fence. I mean, the stories go on and on. And then there was the tale of the Highgate Vampire. Ooh. Yes, this is a vampire story, y'all. So the vampire, the Highgate vampire, it's rumored to be a medieval nobleman who practiced black magic in Romania and whose coffin was relocated from continental Europe to England in the 18th century by his followers who bought a house for him in the West End. He was buried at that site and eventually that site became Highgate Cemetery. He slumbered peacefully for a while until, according to Sean Manchester, Satanists performing a ritual at the cemetery awoke him. So the Highgate vampire is reported to be a very tall, dark figure that glides through the cemetery. His presence is frequently announced by a sudden drop in temperature. He has also reportedly caused clocks and watches to stop. He terrifies any and all animals in his vicinity and has been blamed for scores of dead foxes on the cemetery grounds. Oh, I don't like that. That's my spirit oh, animal. Dead foxes? Ah, no, no. Scratch that. Okay. So he has a hypnotic stare and bone-chilling effect on all who have encountered him, but especially those foolish enough to spend the night in the cemetery, like David Ferrant did in December of 1969. Who the fuck wants to sleep in a cemetery? What the Not fuck? Not me. If I'm sleeping in a cemetery, I better be sleeping because I'm dead. Right? Okay. So this is the story. So Farrant and Manchester were two local lads with an interest in or obsession with the occult. And when Farrant wrote a letter to the local newspaper about his encounter with the specter in the graveyard, it was Manchester who advanced the idea that the entity was a king vampire. So both agreed that the vampire needed to be destroyed, but the growing rivalry between the two men being played out in and fueled by the press precluded any possibility of cooperation. Finally, Manchester declared that he and his associates would hold a vampire hunt on Friday, March 13th, 1970. Yes, Friday the 13th, to rid oh, Highgate of its vampire. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong on Friday the 13th, right? So, what could possibly go wrong? It gets so, more and more elaborate every time we say it. Too. Every time. So within hours, the cemetery was overrun by enthusiastic, quote-unquote, helpers who damaged innumerable graves and memorials. So literally did more damage than helped anything, and the vampire's grave was never found. But the Highgate vampire is just the tip of the supernatural iceberg. The problems with the dead started during Victorian times with exploding coffins. Yes, you heard that right, guys. What? Exploding coffins. I want so, one. Where do I find 
<laughs> this is this is how this all came to be. So the Highgate Cemetery has a series of catacombs built for Victorians who wanted to be buried above ground, kind of like the ancient Egyptians. The problem was regulations of the time required those tombs to be encased in lead to prevent miasma leaking out. And as the bodies decompose in their hermetically sealed tombs, the buildup of gases, I, fe I feel like Bill Nye the science guy right now, caused some of the coffins to explode. Big oh, boom. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking sight to see. What a baller move. Right? I'm going to die and then my coffin's going to explode. That is, you are literally going out in a bang. Literally. Yes! So the solution to this problem was to drill a small hole in the coffin, place a pipe in it, and then light a match so that the gases could burn off hygienically. Though the cemetery is done burning off de decomposition gases, there are still problems aplenty. Scores of people have reported hearing all manner of sounds coming from the cemetery, including heart-stopping banshee wails. Spectral oh faces float about the place. A ghostly cyclist wanders the grounds, as does the floating ghost of a nun. Many people have reported physical assaults, and then there are spirits who appear with such frequency that the locals have named them. There is Old Mad Woman, who is a spirit that is often seen running frantically among the graves, her long gray hair streaming behind her, and according to legend, she is looking for the children she murdered in a fit of rage. Ooh. There is, then there is that of the shrouded figure, a morose specter that is usually seen staring up at the sky. If you approach her too quickly, she will disappear only to reappear a few meters away. And less frequently seen, but more menacing, is the devil ghoul. He is a ghost with a set of piercing red eyes and a habit of vanishing in direct light. So today... Highgate Cemetery has 170,000 people buried in 53,000 graves on its 37 acres. And it's still a working graveyard now. Plots are for sale, subject to restrictions. And it also continues to be a popular place for the occult, paranormal, and vampire enthusiasts. It also hosts the graves of some of the history's most well-known icons, including Karl Marx, Malcolm McLaren, and George Michael. And that is the... History. Oh, and to know, there are tours available if you dare to go. And that Ooh. is the history of the Highgate Cemetery. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I know it's not ghostness. There's still some spooky, kooky, kooky stuff going on. But I just saw Highgate Vampire, and I was, like, putting this in the podcast episode for oh, sure. So, yeah, on that note, that concludes this episode of Just Ghouly Things. Thank you so much, Boo Thangs, for listening. And, Lily, do you have anything to wrap up with before we start with our socials? Um, don't go anywhere spooky-kooky-ooky if you think you're going to die or meet a talking evil rabbit. Bring a friend with you at all times so that you're yeah. not the crazy one just only seeing the crazy rabbit for yourself. Okay. Yeah. So, let's start with the social media, shall we? We shall. Follow us on Instagram at... Just Lily Things Podcast. Our personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and... At Lily Baldessari. Uh, Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Lily Things Podcast. And Facebook private group, which is where we will be posting the link to Lily's uh, Suicide Forest blogger encounter. Just Lily Things Podcast group. Donate to our Patreon. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share in our show, feel free to email us at 
justghoulythingspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Thangs, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye! Goodbye.